Let us hear God's word this morning as it comes to us from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 27, excuse me, verses 26 and 27. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. Then from the second chapter of Genesis, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And then finally, from the Gospel of John, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of humankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I tell a story today of something that happened when my wife and I were at that stage of life in which many of you find yourselves. Our children were young. We had spent the night with my parents. My parents lived out in the country And that night, perhaps because it was so dark, I don't know what the problem was, but for whatever reason, the children just didn't sleep well. Our daughter, who was a baby, barely slept at all. And it was early in the morning, just before sunrise. The little ones were finally resting. My mother was up, and she was watching over them. And Nell and I decided to take a walk on the country road that ran in front of my parents' house. We were past the point of being tired. We were in an adrenalized yet subdued state that I can only describe as a kind of delirious clarity. We were walking along quietly when we came upon a single spindly weed that was growing in the loose gravel at the edge of the broken black top of that road. Now, this poor plant was absolutely less than plain. It was really quite ugly, except for the yellow blossoms, tiny yellow blossoms that adorned its stems. And those flowers and their flimsy infrastructure caught our attention. They captured not just our eyes, but our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our imagination. That weed was so small, and it was so close to the edge of the road. We thought of all the challenges that it faced. Shallow roots in hard dirt. Its wispy stems whipped to and fro in the slipstream 
of passing traffic. We marveled that this little plant had survived, and as we pondered its existence, maybe it was because we had had no sleep, I don't know, but something just caught our minds, our imaginations, and the question came not just from our minds, but from our souls. We, we basically looked at the little plant and said, little weed, why are you here? What, if any purpose, do you serve? And there was, of course, a scientific answer to that question. Scientifically speaking, the weed was there to give life to more weeds. The whole structure of the plant existed to give life and energy to those flowers. And the purpose of the flower, of course, was to produce seed. And the purpose of the seed was to produce more plants, more weeds. And in a scientific sense, the purpose of that weed was the same as the purpose of every living thing. It was the same as every life form. Evolutionary biology says that however much symbiosis there may be between individual organisms or between species, however much cooperation there may be, the end goal of each one is to reproduce itself. And that is the purpose of life, to produce more life scientifically. And this principle applies equally to weeds and to wildebeests and to human beings. And if, if science is all there is, if the scientific explanation is all there is, then that is it. But we dare to say, we dare to say, we dare to go beyond biology. We dare to say that God is our maker. That God is the creator. And to say that God is our maker is to open ourselves up to the possibility of sublime purpose. The creation account in Genesis describes God separating everything in a very orderly fashion. Light from darkness, land from sea, night from day, light from light, plants from animals, sea dwellers from land dwellers, from those that swim in the ocean, from those that fly in the sky. God speaks and everything is. And it not only is, it is good. The great drama continues with God making human beings in God's own image and giving them dominion over the other creatures. Human beings are given the highest place in the order of creation, having dominion over all the others. And then the story finally culminates, concludes, with the separation of rest from work and the setting apart of a special day, the Sabbath, on which God rests, on which humanity is to rest. That first creation account, that, that account of creation in Genesis 1 is a beautiful story. It is beautiful in its balance. It is beautiful in its orderliness, its finality. 
And then there is the creation account in Genesis 2, which is earthy. It's more intimate. It is more open-ended. There God fashions a man from the dust of the ground. And God breathes life into the man. And there the man exercises dominion over creation by being a steward of creation. The man is given the job to care for the garden, to till, to keep it. And the man is given the privilege of naming all the creatures. And yet not everything is good in this story. In Genesis 1, the Lord says everything is good. In Genesis 2, it says the thing, one thing is not so good. It was not good for the man to be alone. And the man looks for companionship with all of the creatures, but finding none, God causes a deep sleep to fall upon him and takes one of his ribs, and out of that rib creates a woman, one who came from him. And we are bold to say that God is our maker. And these stories declare it. But of course, having heard these two accounts of creation, we sometimes become distracted by questions about origins. Many of us, most of us probably know what the scientists say about how we got here. And what the scientists say seems to contradict what the Bible says. And there's all this controversy around this. There's all this conflict about this. And it's, it's, it's been that way for, for many years in our culture. And it continues to be so. But it need not be so. It doesn't have to be that way. It should not be that way. 500 years ago, Galileo became what some have called the father of science. Galileo is most remembered, best remembered for building and using a telescope to observe the heavens. Galileo was a first-rate mathematician, and he combined observations through that telescope with measurements, and Galileo concluded something that was absolutely radical and revolutionary in his time. He concluded that the, that the earth revolves around the sun. And this contradicted the way that most Christians read the Scriptures in those days. Because you see, they read the Scriptures and concluded that the sun revolves around the earth. And so when Galileo suggested otherwise, it got him in trouble with the church. And the church officials called Galileo in and said, you need to repudiate this, you need to recant, you can't keep saying these things, this is heresy. But Galileo would not relent. And in his defense before the church officials, Galileo said, God has written two books. God has written the book of Scripture. And the book of Scripture is best read with faith. It is best read with prayer. It is best read with imagination. And God has also written the book of nature. 
And the book of nature is read well by observation, by what we would call the scientific method. Well, of course, the church officials did not buy that, and they kicked Galileo out of the church. You may be interested to know that only recently has he been readmitted. <laughs> but you see, Galileo was right. God has written two books. And the book of science is well read, or the book of nature, rather, is well read by science. And we ought not to fret over what the scientists say about our physical origins. Because, you see, the second book of God, the book of Scripture, is not primarily about physical origins. It is about spiritual origins. Whatever happened physically... Historically, the Bible declares theologically that creation is of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and by Him all things were made. Without Him not one thing came into being, and what has come into being through Him was life. And the word for life, in the original language of the New Testament, the Greek term that is translated life is not the term bios from which we get our word biology or biological life. It is the Greek word zoe. What has come into being is zoe life, and that is spiritual life. That is life in relationship to God. The scriptures teach us about this origins of our spiritual life. And the creation narratives not only tell us where we come from, they tell us where we're going. They tell us who we are and whose we are. To say that God is our maker is to say some very important things about ourselves. And about our place in the world. To say that God is our maker is to say that our life, our very existence is a gift. Every day we live, every breath we take of the atmosphere of this earth every day we drink its water and eat the food that it provides Every day we live is a gift. And we ought never take one moment for granted. To know in our hearts that God is our maker is to know true humility. It is to know true gratitude. To say that we are made by God in God's image is to say that we are stewards of this creation. We have responsibility for its care. We have responsibility for the air, for the water, for the soil, for the plant life, for the animal life. We have power over these things and we are responsible for them. We do not have a choice of, of, of being a steward, of not being a steward. We are either good stewards or bad stewards, but we are stewards of this creation. 
It depends upon us. And it is God's gift to us. To say that we are made in God's image is to say that we are endowed with great abilities and an amazing sense of awareness. We have self-awareness. We are aware that we are aware. We know ourselves as selves. We know each other. We possess the ability to grow in knowledge, to explore, to discover, to build, to tear down, to see and appreciate the beauty, the mystery of all that is. To say that we are created in the image of God is to say that we know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, truth and falsehood. To say that we are created in God's image is to know most of all. To have most of all an awareness of God. And that is the deepest of all our awareness. To simply know that God is. Being made in God's image, there is something in us, something deep within us, something that is profoundly intuitive, that when we look around at the majesty of this world and we look into the eyes of those whom we love, we know that someone needs to be thanked. And we know that that someone is God. We know whom to thank. We know whom to honor. We know whom to trust. We know whom to praise. We know whom to obey. On that morning when that little weed caught our attention, an answer came to the question, Why are you here, little weed? What, if anything, is your purpose? And the answer was crystal clear. That little plant on the side of that little traveled road in the middle of nowhere, that little plant was there on that day so that someone might stop and see and be amazed. It was there in that moment to call forth from us a sense of wonder, a sense of praise, a sense of gratitude to God who put it there and who put us there in that moment. That little plant was there to awaken in us a love for God and a love for all that God has made. To say that God is our maker is to know the reality of love. It is, to know, it is to know that love is more than a physical phenomenon. It is to know that love comes from somewhere outside of ourselves. Years ago, Nell and I had neighbors whom we came to know and appreciate and and as we got to know them, they knew that I was a preacher. And they said to us at one point, we know that you are a preacher 
and we respect that, but you just need to know that we don't have any need for religion. And we would ask you to honor that. We would ask you to respect the fact that we don't need religion and not use this friendship as a way of trying to con- convince us that we need, need God. And we said, that's fine. We understand. We will respect that. And then they had a baby. And one afternoon as I was leaving my office, uh, the wife was coming up the street. It was in the, it was in the wintertime. It was late in the afternoon. And at that time of day, you know, when the sun is, is, is before setting and, and the, it's just golden. You know, you know what I mean? You know how, what I'm talking about? And so she stopped me and she said, I've never seen the inside of your church. And I said, well, do you want to see it? She said, I would like to see it. So she and the little baby Cynthia go into the, into the sanctuary with me. We left the door open out to the outside, to the street, and, and we could hear the traffic, and we could hear people talking as they passed by. And we went into the sanctuary. It was very quiet, and th- that church had this marvelous stained glass window, and that golden light was shining through that stained glass window. It was just a beautiful sight, bathed in that beautiful light. And as we stood there, and she quietly just looked at the church, looked at the altar, looked at the pulpit, looked at the, the stained glass window in the on the other end of the church. She said to me, do you remember how I said to you that we didn't need religion? I said, I do, I remember that. She said, since we had our baby, I find myself loving in ways that I didn't think I could love. I find myself loving in ways that I didn't know were possible. And I am beginning to wonder if maybe that comes from somewhere else. I'm beginning to wonder if maybe it is of God. And I said to her, I think you're on to something. I think you're on to something. I encourage you to follow that thought. To say that God is our maker is to affirm that love is of God and that love is the most powerful force in the whole creation. But of course, we don't always honor that fact, do we? We don't always honor the fact that God is our maker. We push that knowledge aside. We ignore it. We violate it willfully. Because part of being made in the image of God means that we have the freedom to do that. We distort God's image by our sinful ways. We obscure God's image by acting as if God is not our maker. Even so, God is our maker. And God's being our maker means not only that God made us, but that God is making us. God is not finished with us. Not with me, not with you. The Lord is ever engaged calling us to himself. Christ, the word made flesh by whom all things come into being, is calling us still into a salvation in which the divine image is recovered, restored, and brought to fullness. We make such a mess of things, don't we? We've always done it. We've done so from our beginning. We have made a mess of things. But the good news is Christ is before our beginning and Christ is after our end. Christ is always on the road of life with us. 
when we are tired, when we are half awake, when we are distracted, when we are disobedient and going in the wrong direction, Christ is still with us. And Christ calls us to stop, to look, to listen, to pay attention to who we are and whose we really are. So often we reduce our life back to dust, don't we? And the Lord reaches down and takes the dust to which we have reduced our life and forms it again lovingly forms it again and God breathes God's very life God's spirit into us and we live God is our maker and so we are alive in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit Amen